0: John chapter 11 is where we're going to find ourselves settled in tonight for the word that God has for us. I Am Who I Am It's a series that we have been in over the past few weeks, and each week we've been looking at one individual I Am statement that Jesus made of himself. So this week we're going to encounter and interact with the fifth assertion that Jesus made when he stated in John chapter 11, I Am the resurrection and the life. And so just to give you a little backstory of the text as we get into it tonight. The text tells us about two sisters named Mary and Martha, and they had a brother whose name was Lazarus. And we know throughout scriptures, throughout the gospels, that Jesus had a very close relationship with all three of these people. And as the story begins in John chapter 11, Jesus and his disciples had been doing ministry a little ways outside the city of Bethany. And the city of Bethany is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus were from and Jesus and his disciples are outside the city a couple of miles and they're doing ministry when suddenly a messenger shows up to deliver this urgent message to Jesus that Lazarus has become very sick and things aren't looking very good for him. Jesus being close to the two sisters and their brother this would have been important news for him to become aware of and so we pick up The narrative in John chapter 11, starting in verse 1 and the text says, Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent him, saying, Lord, he, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Did I read that right? Mary and Martha and Lazarus, whom Jesus loved when he found out that he was sick, stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Y'all got that in your Bibles, right? Like I'm not misreading that, am I? Okay, just making sure. Verse 7, then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just now seeking to stone you. And you are going there again. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in a day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles because the light is not in him. After saying these things, he said to them, my friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. So he just broke the news to the disciples that Lazarus has died. Verse 12, the disciples said to him, Lord, if he is fallen asleep, he will recover. Now, Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. So the disciples didn't get it. Now, Jesus explains to them, Lazarus has fallen asleep, he's died, but the disciples thought when Jesus said he's fallen asleep, they literally thought he meant, well, he's just taking a nap. I mean, why we have to rush back to Bethany? God, I mean, he'll wake up sooner or later, no big deal. Like, we all take naps every now and then, I'm sure he's fine. And they just missed it. How many times I wonder, do we, do we miss the things that... God's trying to pour into our lives or to tell us, to reveal to us. He's a loving and gracious God. And so in moments where we do misunderstand what he's trying to show us, oftentimes he comes back very plainly and just re-explains it all over again. So in verse 14, Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. There you go, fellas. Like, sorry you missed it on the first go, but let me just put it in plain terms for you. This way, Lazarus is dead. So for your sake, I'm glad that I was not there. Alright Jesus, so you get the news that Lazarus is sick and you say let's wait two more days and then after he's dead you tell his disciples, I'm glad we weren't there. What in the world? Jesus is losing it. Let us go to him. So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, let us go also that we might die with him. Verse 17, now when Jesus came he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? It's really quite interesting what Jesus has done up to this point with each of his I am statements. Each time he has stated I am, he's given a practical illustration or example that shows how he really is who he claims to be. And I don't know if you've picked up on this or not. As we work through each of these I am statements but when Jesus fed the 5,000 he followed it up with I am the bread of life when he exposed the sins of the condemning Pharisees he said I am the light of the world when he spoke of entering the sheepfold he said I am the door and when he taught of protecting loving and sacrificing for the sheep he said I am the good shepherd and so is Jesus really going to try and pull this one off Does he really contain that kind of power? I am the resurrection and the life. What kind of illustration, what kind of example, Jesus, are you going to follow this one up with? Verse 27, Martha responds, and she said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And when she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him So the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. And Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor. He's been dead four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And so they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you have sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. I've never resurrected anything or anybody. And if any of you have... I find that quite weird, and let's talk afterwards about some things that you might be going through in life that we need to get some counseling set up for. I've never actually resurrected anything. I've never brought anything back to life. I came close one time, I feel like. Seriously, though. I used to work at the Sportsplex around McFarland on Gunnerford Road. Some of you guys you know where that's at. I used to work there as a recreation assistant. And so one of my responsibilities was to make sure that the concession stand stayed stocked. And I was in there one day, and it was a bunch of high school kids that I was working with, and I was still in college, and there was this big debate about this urban legend that somebody had heard that you could drown a fly and then put salt on it, and it would come back to life. And so we had this big discussion about what in the world is this? So we caught a fly in the concession stand. And we put that sucker in a cup of water and sat a skittle on top of it so it couldn't get out and left him in there literally until the bubble stopped. Now, we left him in there for, I would say, at least an hour, an hour and a half. I mean, the sucker wasn't moving. We take the skittle off. We pour the fly out on the counter. He's not moving. I mean, not a twitch. His little legs aren't, aren't shivering or anything, not even an attempt to get up and fly away. And so we're like, we leave him laying on the counter for, for another hour, and he hasn't moved. And so we go and get the salt, and we sprinkle it on the fly, and we leave him laying there. And I kid you not, we came back about an hour later, and this joker started moving. And the next thing we know, he's standing up. And the next thing we know, he flies out the window. You may think I'm crazy. Go try it if you don't believe me. I give you permission to drown a fly and put salt on it and try and bring it back to life. I don't necessarily think that's resurrection in the sense in which Jesus is performing it here with Lazarus, but that's the closest I've ever came to it. I don't have the power to resurrect anybody. Nobody in this room has the power to resurrect anybody. You cannot bring that which is dead back to life. But I know there are some people here tonight who need resurrecting. And I know there are some people in here that are carrying with them some situations that you need to be resurrected or you need to be raised up out of. I know it to be true. I don't believe it's by accident that God led me to this message. Because I know there are some people here tonight who need to be raised up who need to be resurrected. So can I just implore you guys, please listen to what God has for you tonight. Let Him bring you to life. If you're counting on my words to do it, you won't ever experience it. But if you listen and you trust what God has to say to you through me, He can raise you to life. He can bring you out of the situation that you're in. So please just listen to what He has to say to you tonight. I'm begging you, don't tune out. I am the resurrection and the life. We're actually going to work through this a little bit backwards tonight. It's the first thing that we need to see that when Jesus says, I am the resurrection of life, what does that mean for us? How does that apply in my life? How does that that impact me? Well, Jesus as the resurrection of life speaks life into death. So we just finished up. Jesus has received the news that Lazarus is sick, Lazarus is ill. Jesus comes. Lazarus is, he's not doing very well. And he takes his time getting there. And by the time he's there, Lazarus has been dead. He's in the grave for four days. And we just saw Jesus raise this man back to life. He said, Lazarus, come out, and the man appeared. He raised him back to life. There was no question that Lazarus was dead. He'd been in the grave for multiple days. But Jesus walks up to the entrance, and he tells them to take the stone away. But Martha wasn't about it, though. Did you see it? Has Jesus ever spoke something into your life or gave you a command to be obedient by, but you just weren't about it? Martha wasn't about it. Jesus says, take take the stone away, and Martha's like, oh, I don't think, oh, Jesus, I don't think you understand, like, he's been in there for four days, it's going to stink, there's going to be an odor, let's, let's, mm, maybe not the best idea, Jesus, don't, don't do this, please, that smell will be terrible, please don't open up his grave. You know, I think we get so afraid of how bad our fouled-up lives smell that we become afraid to let Jesus in, so that He can clean it up. Did you hear me? I think you did. Because most often times, when the room is the quietest, the message is diving the deepest. We get so afraid of how bad our fouled-up lives smell, that we become afraid to let Jesus in to clean it up. Don't do that, Jesus. Don't go in there. That stinks. I've kept that locked away for a long time so it doesn't get out. Please, 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 don't open that up. But Jesus reassured Martha, with the fact that I am more than capable of handling it, Martha. I am. Get it? I, I am. I am more than capable of handling it. So they remove the stone, and Jesus prays, and then he speaks, Lazarus, come out. Imagine the anxiousness and the tension in that moment. I think we, we lose some of the power because we weren't actually there. But if you were to put yourself in the shoes of Martha or Mary, and you're standing outside Lazarus's tomb, and Jesus is standing there, and he says, "Move the stone out of the way," and then he says, "Lazarus, come out." Can you imagine how everybody was on pins and needles? Jesus gives his command, and everybody's like, and then guess who appears at the entrance of the cave? Lazarus. Can you imagine? how the anxiousness and the tension then began to be replaced by celebration and joy. And you know what's cool too? You know what you don't see the Bible tell us? You know what you don't hear Martha say anything about? A smell. There's no mention of it. Not even a smell. See, Jesus doesn't only rebuke death, he removes its stench. It's not even on you anymore. It's not that he just rebuked death out of your life. It's that he completely removes the stench. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego went into the fire, when they came out, they didn't even smell like smoke. Not only did Jesus rebuke death, he removed the stench. I'm sorry. I get excited about it. You don't smell death on me. Why? Because Jesus fills my life. He took away the stench of it. Jesus speaks life into death. And just like Lazarus, his call is still the same to each and every one of you guys. Come out, come out, come out of your sin, you know what sin does, it kills you, you don't hear that from a lot of popular preachers anymore, sin kills you, and guess what the Bible says, we've all sinned, so guess what happens, we all dead, unless Jesus shows up on the scene and makes a statement like, I am the resurrection and the life, and whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Come out. Come out of your sin. By faith, take that step toward Jesus. He's already taken towards you. He showed up all the way in front of your tomb. He says, come out. Come out. But you know, there's one other thing that's important, I think, we notice too. Jesus then told him to do what? Go unbind him. Go unbind him. It can be a scary thing to come out of the place of death that you're in it can be but can I tell you that you're not alone in doing that Jesus said go unbind him can you imagine everybody's response then they're still not sure about the whole situation as it is there's Lazarus he has been dead for four days and now he's standing at the entrance of the tomb and he's wrapped up in all his mummy clothes and he can't even walk he's kind of stuttering out of the grave and Jesus says go unbind him everybody's like and bind him you have help when Jesus calls you from death to life it's not a life that you live individually or in isolation you have help that's why the church is here we help you take off those grave clothes you've been used to wearing for so long and help you to be clothed with the righteousness of Jesus two words Two words, I want you to remember these. Come out. Come out. But Jesus has the resurrection and the life. He doesn't just speak life into death. He also speaks life into despair. So when Jesus arrived at Bethany, Lazarus was already gone. Nothing, nothing could be done at this point. Mary and Martha, the friends and family, they were mourning. They were devastated. I mean, everybody's crying. There's Kleenex boxes everywhere. I mean, it's just a mess. And they were really in a state of despair over losing their brother. And you know what that word despair means? By definition, it actually means complete loss or absence of hope. Have you ever been there? you ever been in a place of despair? Where you just had a complete loss or absence of hope? I'm not trying to make light of this serious situation that we're in with Lazarus and his two sisters and Jesus, but I felt despair Monday because I started doing something this week that I swore I would never do when I finished playing baseball at UNA and that was run, but certain circumstances in my life have forced me to get back into something that I swore that I would never do. And so Monday I decided I was actually going to go run. And I actually used to be pretty decent at this when I was in shape. And some of you are unaware, but we do a thing called broom ball around here in the spring. And last time we went and played, I actually blew out my PCL and partially torn my meniscus and all that stuff. And so it's been a process, and my legs are, are really weak now because I've been scared to go work them out because my knees just hurt. So anyway, I've got all this courage built up and this excitement, and I go behind the field at UNA, and I'm like, I'm going to get back into running. I'm going to get back in shape, and it's going to be great. And it's going to be awesome. And I had all this momentum built up, and I took off, and I made it a half a mile, and I was dying. <laughs> Despair. I got to the end of a half-mile stretch, hands on my knees, Begging God to replace the breath in me that I had just lost. Thinking this is a hopeless situation, God. What am I going to do? Hopelessness. I went back Tuesday and got a little bit better, for those of you that are wondering. But that's beside the point. I felt hope. I mean, despair. We can see despair in Mary and Martha's life. Both of them had given Jesus the same response. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. You ever felt like that with God? God, if you'd have just been here. God, if you'd have just done something different. I thought you were all powerful. I thought you were sovereign. I thought you could could change and have control over any and every situation in life. So why am I here? Why am I in this place of despair? Why is my brother in the grave when I sent you a message? When I cried out to you in prayer saying, God, it's urgent. I need your help. Now all of a sudden there's death. He's in the grave. Nothing can be done. Why did you allow this to happen? I know there's some people sitting in this room and you've got this on your heart. God, I cried out to you, so why am I here? Why do I feel helpless? Why do I feel hopeless? The text tells us that when Jesus saw Mary and all their friends weeping, he was moved. And troubled in his spirit. And then did you notice what he said to Mary and Martha? If you go back and look in the passage. Verses 28 through 36. You'll find it there. His response to Mary and Martha was. Where have you laid him? Where have you laid him? Jesus asked the sisters to show him. Where they had placed Lazarus. In other words. This is what he was saying to them I feel. Show me the place of death. Show me the place where it hurts the most. Show me the place where you lost hope. Show it to me. And when they took him there, he wept. It doesn't say that Jesus cried a little bit. It says that he wept. When you weep, it's because of an overwhelming sense of sorrow and pain and anguish that you feel deep inside of your spirit because of the situation or the circumstances around you. Jesus wept with him. Why did Jesus weep? I'll tell you why. Because he felt their pain. Because he felt their sorrow. Because he felt their helplessness. And he felt their hopelessness. And he wept with them because his heart was aching for them because he loved them with such a great love. And he weeps with them. And there are some of us here tonight that I know deep within my soul. You've hidden it on the surface. You've done a good job of that. But you're in a situation of despair. And everything looks good on the outside, but on the inside, you are helpless and you are hopeless and you are questioning everything. Maybe you were abused sexually or verbally. Maybe you tragically lost someone that was close to you. Maybe it's an addiction that you can't beat or an anxiety attack that's about to hit at any moment or a state of depression that you can't climb out of or family problems that you can't control or sickness that you can't shake. Whatever it is, it has caused you pain and sorrow and regret. Whatever it is, it has caused you to feel helpless and it has caused you to feel hopeless. But listen to the words of Jesus when he says, Show me. It's so deeply personal. Show me. Jesus is not unaware of your despair. He says, show me. Take me to the place of death. Take me to the place where it hurts the most in your life. Take me to that moment. Take me to that place where you lost and abandoned all hope. Take me there. Show it to me. It's not that Jesus didn't know where Lazarus was buried at. It's that he wanted Mary and Martha to know I care enough to see it. Show me. Let him speak life into your despair. Psalm chapter 34, verses 17 and 18. Two of the greatest verses in all of Scripture for people in despair. It says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed. In spirit. Two words. Two more words. Show me. Show me. Jesus has a resurrection and a life. He also speaks life in spite of delay. Remember when Jesus first got the news that Lazarus was sick? His plan of action was to wait two more days. Not exactly the course that we thought Jesus would take. But oftentimes, it it rarely is what we expect when Jesus acts. And he finally gets there, and he finds out that Lazarus has been gone for four days. Why didn't Jesus just leave immediately? He obviously loved this family. He obviously loved Lazarus. Why didn't he leave immediately? Why didn't he just... Speak healing from where he was at. He had the power to do so, right? All Jesus had to do was speak the word, even from where he was. He could have said, Lazarus, be healed. And from a distance of four to five miles away, Lazarus could have been healed just by the word of Christ. Why didn't he do that? I give you a simple solution. And we could get really deep theologically here on why Jesus did the things he did, why he waited, and we can pull out all this hidden meaning that we think is there, but can I just give you a simple answer? Because it didn't matter. It didn't matter. Time does not restrain the power of Christ. Even after waiting, guess what? <laughs> Jesus was still able to speak life into Lazarus. That's why I say it didn't matter. Two days, four days, four months... Four years, 10 years, 12 years, 20 years down the road, it wouldn't have mattered. Jesus still had the power to speak life in spite of the delay. And, and, you know, here's the thing. Here's what I think we really need to pull out of this part of it. Sometimes Jesus will delay in order to demonstrate. You feel me? It's not that he's it's not that he's minimizing your situation, which is what it looked like on the outside, right? That Jesus was kind of just insensitive to what was going on. Oh, I don't know big deal. We'll get there when we get there. Well, thanks, Jesus. God of grace and mercy, thank you for that. It's not that he's minimizing your situation. Hear me. It's that he's maximizing his power. That's why sometimes he delays so that he can demonstrate. So that when he does show up, he can fully demonstrate who he is as the resurrection and the life. Listen, delay doesn't restrain him. Despair doesn't restrict him. Death cannot resist him. He speaks, come out. Come out of your death. Come out of your despair. Be unbound and set free. John 10 10, we just left it a couple weeks ago. I came that you may have what? Life and have it more abundantly. Two words, Two more words. Trust me. Trust me. The whole time we've been working through this story, kind of backwards and rewind. I gave you two words, two, two and two, six all together. Let's flip them back around. Number one, trust me. Number two, show me. Number three, come out. See, it starts with trusting. Because if I trust him, then guess what? I'll show him. And once I show him that place that I don't want anybody else to see, that I've kept locked up for so long, that I've been afraid to let anybody in because it's going to smell awful once I get into that place and I show them. It's right here. This is where the death creeped in. This is where it hurts me the most. This is where I'm most vulnerable. This is what happened. This is the place where it happened at and I've tried and tried to forget it. I've tried and tried to forgive it but I can't let it go. This is where it hurts the most. And to be honest with you, Jesus, this is where I lost my hope. Now Jesus is in a position in your life where he can say, move the stone. Now come out. Come out. Shake loose those bounds that have kept you wrapped up for so long Lazarus when Jesus called him out quite simply was obedient he came walking out some of you here tonight God's calling you out come out of your sin come into life abundant forsake all this other stuff leave it all behind you. I know it stinks. Sin stinks. It does. Man, it'll foul up your life. It will produce death within you. But Jesus has the power to rebuke that give you life and give it abundant and take care of the stench. Some of you are in despair and you've lost all hope and you can't get past that thing that happened to you that you might not have even been able to control. He's the God of all comfort and hope. And He can restore. And He can repair. And He can replace. And He can give you back what you lost. And it might take some time to work through it. It doesn't necessarily get better overnight. But each step that you take with Jesus is a step of healing and restoration. And healing and restoration and healing and restoration. But you got to decide. I'm going to come out. I'm going to take that step. What are you going to do tonight? Are you going to come out of that place? Are you going to let Jesus take care of that stuff that you think just stinks so bad? Are you going to keep holding on to? It? Salvation is at the door. It's not. It's your choice. Healing is at the door. It's not. It's your choice. Come on. Thanks for listening to the message. We hope that you will continue to join us each week as we journey through Jesus' I Am Statements. We're trusting that God is going to show us some mighty things about who he is through those two words. So be sure to meet us here again next week.